Welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I'm Christina Simmons, your host, and thanks for joining me today as I seek to inspire, encourage, and accompany you on the journey towards holiness by sharing food for the head, heart, hands, and feet, so we may grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and through friendship, discover the life God created us for, lives of purpose, peace, and abundance, rooted in the hope that with God's grace and mercy, we can become the living, breathing, wonder-working saints that the world so desperately needs. So in the midst of the craziness of the Christmas holidays, how well have you planned for 2022? Are you ready to go? You got that plan ready to roll? You got your goals set? You're ready to rock and roll beginning January 1st? Or or if you're like most of us, myself included, you probably need a little bit of help, or at least a little bit of time to sit down and to do exactly that, to plan for your best year yet. So that's what I'm inviting you to do, is to schedule a free 15-minute connect call with me so we can talk about how I might be able to help you get closer to living the life that God created you for. Get closer to living that life of purpose and peace and abundance. So go ahead and schedule that free 15-minute connect call with me today. And let's talk. Go ahead and check out in the show notes the link to be able to set up your connect call today. And know that in January, I'm going to be having a small little workshop in which I'm going to be focusing on exactly that. But I need to talk with you before to make sure that that's the right fit for you. So again, reach out and set up a connect call, just a time for us to be able to get to know one another and to see whether or not I might be able to help you achieve your goals in 2022. God bless. Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. This is Christina Simmons, your host, and this week's one-on-one conversation is with Kelly Bro. And Kelly and her husband are co-founders of the Redbird Ministries. Uh, their ministry is one of three winners of the 2021 Our Sunday Visitor Innovation Challenge, and Our conversation, though, was not necessarily just about their ministry, but it was very timely because during this season, this, quote, happiest season of the year, many people will definitely struggle with this time of year because of the loss of a loved one. And in a special way, for those who have suffered the loss of a child in an even more profound way. And Kelly and her husband, Redbird Ministries, their focus is upon helping people be able to move through the loss of a loved one, but particularly the loss of a child. And it was an absolutely beautiful conversation. Um, It was very, it really touched my heart a great deal as Kelly shared her story um, of how it was that their ministry literally was born out of their pain, of their own suffering, of loss of their children, um, and how 
the ministry emerged from that. And for me, it was something where I was very, very encouraged because of the fact that even in the midst of the trauma and the difficulties that Kelly and her husband had to deal with um, when they were uh, trying to deal with the loss of their children, what happened was is that God remained present to them. And God was present to them through other people who accompanied them in the midst of their loss, but also in inspiring them and showing them where the gap is. And what I mean by the gap is that there was a gap in the ministry of the church, particularly with accompanying people who have lost a child but or lost a loved one. So even though this is a topic that can be difficult, I highly encourage you to listen to uh, Kelly and Ryan's story and also for you to take away some very good practical tips about how it is that you might be able to be present as Christ is to each of us each day, but how you might be present and accompany someone who is going through a very difficult time right now. And during the holidays, during the Christmas season, this really comes to the fore. So um, I hope that you really enjoy this conversation. I hope it touches your heart as it did mine. And I'll see you on the flip side. God bless. Hello, this is Christina Simmons with the Say Yes to Holiness podcast, and I am so very excited to have you with me today as I have conversation with a wonderful guest, Kelly Bro. And Kelly lives in Brobridge, Louisiana. Need to ask whether or not uh, it's actually named after your family or not. Um, <laughs> but she's also the co-founder of Redbird Ministries. And Redbird Ministries was one of the winners of the 2021 OSV Innovation Challenge. And What Redbird Ministries does is that it's an organization that systematically guides individuals and couples through the complexity and trauma that happens with the loss of a child. So Kelly, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Um, And uh, that mission of Redbird Ministries sounds like it probably came out of your own personal journey. So is that the case? That is the case, yes. So uh, thank you again for inviting me to the podcast. And um, we are so excited to be one of the OSV Innovation uh, Challenge winners. But yes, Redburn Ministries um, was born out of our pain. Um, whenever, you know, when people, uh, when we do strategy planning, you know, and we think of who we're serving and we create like this, I guess, username. The first time we ever did this, they asked me this. They were like, who is Redbird Ministries for? And I was like, Ryan and Kelly wrote. It was what we needed desperately and could not find anywhere mm. um, when we suffered our losses. Um, so we lost three children. We have one living daughter named Estelle, and she's 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but our twins, I'll, I'll start there, uh, were born in 2005. I Experienced placental abruption at 28 weeks. So they had to take them early. 
Her son Talon um, died at 15 days old. He had contracted pseudomonas sepsis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mom, she um, she was doing well, very little. Um, but the day that we buried Talon, we realized she had an infection too. And um, of course, when you lose a child, the fear of losing again is like a reality. And so I started to, to have anxiety and panic attacks. Um, it was a very uh, troubled time for my husband and I, just because, uh, you know, being so young, I was 25 years old and having this huge responsibility to, um, to care for small, small babies um, mm-hmm. was very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, when we found out that Emma had an infection, I immediately thought that she would die too. Um, but she didn't, she didn't pass away, um, from the infection. She actually recovered, but without, not without complications. So she developed, uh, three aneurysms in her vascular system. They had to fly her to Fort Worth, which was, um, about eight, eight hours away from us where she had. Uh, cardiovascular surgery at five weeks old. Mm. She was very small. She was only three and a half pounds at the time. It was a very risky surgery. She survived that. She came home um, about three days after her due date on 10 different medications and uh, on oxygen 24 hours a day. Mm. And that's kind of when the anxiety and the depression really kicked in because all of a sudden I was responsible to keep her alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt ill-equipped, uh, overwhelmed, um, did not know really what I was doing. I was scared that I would give her the wrong medicine. Um, and with this responsibility, um, like I was saying, the anxiety was just very overwhelming to me. So that was like the first time that my husband and my OB, um, talked me into going to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not do it willingly. I didn't want to want or need help. No one ever wants or wants to need help. Um, but that was our reality at the time. And so I went, uh, begrudgingly. <laughs> um, and I, I remember when I was sitting in the, the therapist's office, because I was convinced that I was going crazy because this, this feeling of overwhelm, uh, had never experienced this before. And so I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what depression was. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as she told me, you're not clinically depressed or you're not, or, you know, you're not suffering from mm-hmm. that, um, you're grieving. I just, I remember looking at her and telling her, then you can't help me. And she told me, she was like, yes, I can. I was like, no, you haven't lost a child. And it was just my reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take the medic medicine that her and my OB suggested. I did begin to take some anxiety medicine because that helped me to be able to take care of myself and to take care of, uh, Emma, who was so little. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as time passed, we were able to, um, get into our routine of things. I knew what I was doing. Uh, Emma was growing, uh, at 10 months old, she was able to come off her oxygen mm-hmm. and we were able to schedule her for her baptism. We were able to celebrate her first birthday. Um, and then about 18, at 18 months old, when she started to walk, we realized that there was a complication that she had from surgery that we didn't know if it was going to be a little thing or if it was going to be a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Her right iliac 
which is where one of the aneurysms was located, had clotted off after surgery mm-hmm. and um, they couldn't remove it. And mm-hmm. so um, it, from the time that she had the surgery till about 18 months old, what we realized during this time was that it had damaged her growth plate. And it was something that we didn't really know until that moment. And um, a couple months later, because we were seeing different orthopedic surgeons, but a couple couple months later, um, I remember one of the one of the surgeons telling us um, that he thought that the only appropriate way to treat her is if we would amputate her right leg, which was the leg right foot, which was the leg that the um, the iliac had clotted off um, mm-hmm. because the growth. Uh, they were charting it over time. The growth um, would be just too much to overcompensate as she got older. She would start to have other issues like mm-hmm. her hip damage and knee damage and um, it just wouldn't give her the quality of life that she um, should have. Mm-hmm. And so I instantly rejected that. I was like, I, I just, I can't do that to her. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as a mother, all you want to do is protect your child. And um, that was, that was my response to it. I, I didn't want her to go through that. And so I desperately tried to find another option. Mm-hmm. And we did, we found a doctor. He was in um, Baltimore at the time mm-hmm. um, to be able to do a limb lengthening surgery. Um, it was a series of three to four surgeries, depending on the success, but they were, they would have to, um, surgeries would have to take place during the biggest growth spurt of a, of a, of human development, which the next one was at three and a half years old. So that's what we did. We scheduled the surgery for the summer. I'm sorry. It was supposed to be at the beginning of 2009. Well, in the meantime, I got pregnant for my daughter, who Estelle, who is um, 12 now. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was, it was bad timing. I had so much mixed emotions. It was so complicated, so many complicated feelings because I was excited to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wanted another baby. Um, I just didn't know how I was going to take care of a newborn and a daughter who was going to have to have so much um, medical attention. Because uh, when she would have the surgery, she'd be in a wheelchair mm-hmm. for six months. Um, so we pushed back the surgery from January to July so that we could, um, for Estelle to be a little bit older. And that summer in 2009, when um, when we were going to leave, um, probably about a month or two months before, um, I forgot to say this, um, her doctor moved from Baltimore to West Palm Beach, Florida. So we left. Louisiana drove to West Palm Beach, Florida, dropped off our stuff, and then took Emma and Estelle to Disney World. Um, <laughs> we, we, we said, if we're cl- this close, we're, we're going to bring her to Happen. Yep. So that's, what, that's what we did. We took her to Disney World. Well, the, that was the week before surgery. So from the time that we left Louisiana to the time that we arrived in West Palm Beach, went to Disney and came back, um, Somewhere along the way, Emma contracted H1N1, mm-hmm. and we did not know at the time. So she had her surgery, and that night she started having febrile seizures, mm-hmm. and um, she was she was diagnosed, I think, on day five. But on day three, things got really, really bad. Um, they thought that she was she was going to die. Um, 
starting on about day three. And finally on day five, they moved her from West Palm Beach to Miami Children's, Mm -hmm. put her on uh, an ECMO machine. And that's where she lived for seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, ECMO, I don't know how many, you know, people or your listeners are familiar with ECMO is it's, it's a heart and lung machine. And what it's uh, supposed to do is to give your heart and your lungs time to rest. Right. Average time that someone is supposed to be on it is less than two weeks. She was on it for seven weeks. So um, the longer you're on it, um, the harder it is to get off and the, um, it becomes a complication in itself to, uh, to someone. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Um, and she, uh, she just, she never, she would make little small improvements, but it was never enough um, to think that she would ever get off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that date was September 10th of 2009. And that was the day that she died. And um, it was the most horrible day of my life, even after experiencing what we experienced with Talon. Um, I believed that God was going to heal her. I didn't believe that God was going to take another child. And so I put I had not prepared myself for, for death. I not, um, when I prayed, I didn't pray for her to be healed, to go to heaven. (laughs) I wanted her with me. And I remember when, after she passed away that, um, they wrapped her up in a sheet and they laid her on my lap, kind of like they did for the blessed mother. Uh, I was a living, uh, Pieta. And I remember just looking at her and just crying out to God. And it was just, um, it was the most loneliness that I've felt in a room full of people. I just felt so abandoned by him. Mm -hmm. And um, because everything we talk about with God is that he's good and he's loving and he's all knowing. And if he's good and he's loving and he's all knowing, why did he allow this to happen to me? Not once, but twice. And so my faith totally went out the window. I um, could no longer pray. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take care of myself. Um, I, I couldn't remember to like pay our bills, like simple things. Right. Couldn't remember to pay our bills. I couldn't remember. Uh, couldn't remember if I took my medicine. I couldn't remember if I brushed my teeth. Like everything people you know say about grief, I experienced and more. Um, I never in my life had the a chasm of faith uh, like this this moment, and um, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God, which is the crazy thing too. And I tell that to everybody. I just didn't believe He was good. I didn't believe that He loved me. I believe that other people could find healing. Other people was worthy of miracles that just I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I, we experienced the same trauma, but then we never really talked about it again. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of them, uh, the feelings of emotional abandonment. I would get very angry at him um, for not wanting to talk about it, but he was just trying to, to protect me. Um, right. That's, you know, our, after, after we found healing, I was like, why we didn't talk about that? And he, you know, I was like, I felt like you didn't love our children because he wouldn't cry around me. He was just trying right. to protect me from everything. Mm-hmm. And um, that was not 
the case at all. He loved, like he, he, he tells me it was the opposite. I loved you so much. I was trying to protect you, Mm -hmm. but just in our inability to be able to communicate, there were so many things that fell apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, We almost um, lost our marriage, not in the context that we um, filed for divorce. It just got to a very scary place that um, it felt like that was our only option. Um, not that either one of us wanted it, but we just couldn't, we couldn't live like we were living. Um, and things changed. Um, I would say things changed probably when our daughter Estelle was about four and a half years old. That's when it first started to change. And she started school, um, at our parish, at our, our little church parish, the school. Mm-hmm. And they would go to mass on Thursdays. And so after Emma died, I had stopped going to mass because I would have flashbacks of the coffins. I couldn't, the baby's crying in church. I couldn't handle it. I would run out of church and just cry. And after a while, you just stop going. Right. And so when Estelle started back school, um, she would ask me to go to mass with her. And I was like, I don't want to go to mass with you. I don't want to step foot back into that place ever again. It was just a memory that I was not ready to revisit. And um, she would not stop. So one day I thought I would just go to shut her up. But the reality was the next Thursday, she kept asking. Mm -hmm. Um, But after I stepped back into church, after I faced that fear, um, it wasn't so scary because four and a half years had passed and um, I was able to to go back to that place. Um, And I was able to continue to go back to church uh, week by week, like on Thursdays, I'd go with her and it kind of started there. Then, Then finally over time, we would go Ryan and I and Estelle on Sunday. So it was, it was a sporadic thing on the weekends, but um, that's how we first, I first started back into school. I mean, into mass. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple of things, a couple of other things happened. 2000, that was in 2014, 2015, my mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to have the whole funeral, bitch. I wanted to do all the things. So again, I was back into church in that same situation as I was, um, when Emma died and, um, we did, we did all the things for my mom. And then six months later, I had a friend who, um, her and her daughter were in a car accident and her daughter was killed. She was 10 years old. And that's kind of when, um, my knees really hit the ground because, I had never had someone I was close to that had lost a child. Mm -hmm. So I ran to her side um, to try to comfort her, to try to uh, console her as her friend. But I realized that she was not responding uh, the same way that I was. She was not mad at the drunk driver. Mm -hmm. She was not angry at God. Um, the day of our daughter's funeral, she was supposed to leave to make her Curcio. I don't know if you know what Curcio is. Yep. Very well. (laughs) Um, She was supposed to leave to make her Curcio. She went the the next time it was offered. I think it was like two months, two months later. Cause I was like, surely she's not going to want to do any of these things. Like surely she's not going to want to pray. Like surely she's going to be mad at God. Surely she's going to be mad at the drunk driver. And she wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And although that was so beautiful to me because I was in mortal sin, like the devil twisted it. And he was like, you know, see how you couldn't do this. See how you Mm -hmm. um, weren't strong enough. Mm -hmm. And um, I was so embarrassed and so, um, so ashamed at what I experienced. I was more like Peter who ran from the cross, denied Mm -hmm. Jesus, didn't want anything to do with my cross. Um, And my friend was, um, she was modeling the blessed mother. Mm. And so when she got back from Crucio, uh, she started a prayer group. I was like, this is so weird, you know, cause I, that wasn't my experience. And the, the only experience I had, and this was all before social media, <laughs> before iPhones, when we right. lost, um, Talon and Emma. Um, so I really didn't have an inside view of what you know, it's supposed, the only view I had was my own. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person that I knew that had lost a child was myself. I, I felt very isolated and alone. I felt it was very weird experience. Um, no one understood me. Um, so when uh, my friend lost her, her daughter uh, and I started going to this prayer group with her, cause I thought I was going to help her, you know, help my friend. But in actuality, what happened was, she invited me to make my Crucio mm-hmm. and I, um, was, uh, still in this, like in this place of, um, trying to deflect that. I was like, I can't make my Crucio. I haven't made my confirmation. Mm-hmm. And I had another friend that she hadn't made her, conf- her confirmation, but made Crucio. And so she was like, that's a lie. <laughs> she <laughs> sold me out. And, uh, she, but what she said next was the change. It was the difference. What she said was, but if it's important to you, how about we join our CIA and make our confirmation together? Mm-hmm. No one had ever been willing to walk with me through that. Mm-hmm. Only people had suggested things for me to do and advice to, that they wanted to give. I'd never they, experienced accompaniment. I never yeah. had experienced accompaniment. So your friend, uh, you know, was willing to accompany you and go through the RCIA process with you so you could receive, you know, the sacraments. And yes. so you felt comfortable then living your Garcia weekend. Yeah, I felt comfortable um, because it didn't seem so scary for, for me before everything was so scary because it was something that I was having to do by myself. Mm-hmm. And so having a friend, uh, even though she was my friend, Shandy, who I, I made uh, com- confirmation with was not a lost mom. She, um, walked with me through that. And then, um, my friend sponsored me for Curcio. And so two months after I made my confirmation, I left to go make my Curcio. And that was the first time that I'd ever encountered, um, Christ in that capacity. Like I felt completely ravaged. Um, I think that Curcio, um, works because we never take the time um, for ourselves to um, walk hand in hand with God um, through through the sacraments into sanctifying grace and receive sacraments on top of sacraments for that long of a time. Um, and because I experienced this profound conversion, like the minute I remember the minute I got, I got home, like I felt like I was, I was floating. Well, Ryan says I was floating my husband. 
<laughs> and I put my arms around him and I like I just I was crying and um, I told him I was so sorry. And he's such a good man. He told me, he said, you were not that mean. I was like, yes, I was. <laughs> I don't even know how you could say that. I was so mean. You know, it was it wasn't just the grief. It was the unhealthy coping mechanisms that I was trying to cover the pain. You know, we were were both drinking, um, not every day, but like over drinking when we would drink. And so then, you know, it causes you to say things that you would never say. Um, it causes you to do things that you would never do. And, um, that was the, that was the, I guess the, um, so is that 2017? 2017, yes, is whenever mm-hmm. I made my Presio. Yeah. And um, a year later, Ryan made his. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like when everything was right ordered and put back into, into the way that it was supposed to be. Um, and it's beautiful that you use that language about right ordered and the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> um, and, you know, your, your story is an absolutely beautiful one because of the fact of there are those pinpoints of light that are present when we're able to look back and you can (laughs) see God's hand at work. And um, it's so hard for us to be able to persevere in the midst of the darkness. Um, And uh, so your, your patron saint for your, for the ministries is mother Teresa of Calcutta and talk about someone who walked through darkness but she herself was such a light to other people. And that's something that, you know, I, I see you guys doing with Redbird Ministries um, is it's coming out of, as you said, it's come out of your own pain. And now that everything God is healed and things are right ordered, he's empowered you to go in to do this mission. And, you know, uh, but what, what, what is it that you and Ryan what, what was it that caused you guys to say, okay, we need to share this with other people? So about, I guess about a year after I made Crisio, right before Ryan made Crisio, he went to the man-to-man conference and he was in confession. He yeah. hadn't been to confession since we got married, which was 15 years before that. And father uh, just asked him why, like why. And so he went into the story of losing our twins Mm -hmm. and it was a 45 minute confession for him. Uh, And at the end of it, um, the priest asked Ryan if we would be willing to go and share our testimony. He -hmm. said he had five families the year before that had experienced the loss of a child. And he noticed that this unique group of individuals needed more than he could give. And that was a very like humble thing for him to say, because I mean, they go to school for so long, you know, so we think that they can do, you know, all these things, but in reality, he felt really ill-equipped to be able to help these families. And Mm -hmm. he asked Ryan and I, if we would, um, to go share our witness. And, um, I remember him telling us at dinner, he was like, I'm not asking y'all to start the ministry. He said, I'm just asking y'all to come to do a talk. And I was like, he might've not thought that, or we might've not thought that, but that's not what God had in mind. Right. And it really, it started there. It just started as, okay, I'm going to make the commitment 
to go and share my talk one time. Right. Um, but when I sat down to write that one talk, I realized like there was so much that I had never said. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, I sat down that day and, and when I looked down, it was just like, I was like, this is not a talk. It was like an ungodly amount of uh, pages. I was like, this is like a book. And so that's where the book first mm. came to, mm-hmm. to formulate um, Cause I hadn't in searching for resources through my own grief, I would find lots of books on um, suffering. I would find books on grief, um, but everything was always put together. It was like, you know, you could, you know, if you lost a parent, if you lost a spouse, like even if you lost a dog and I was like, there, nothing compares to losing your child. Um, Not in, not in, you know, not when, when you're deep in raw in grief. Um, mm-hmm. And I lost my mom too. And that was, it was very painful for me. And I'm not saying that it's not, um, but it didn't destroy my life. Like mm-hmm. when I lost Helen and Emma, it destroyed my life. I no longer was able to um, function in the capacity that I had been able to before. I've right. always been a, a, a natural go-getter, very independent, hard worker, have good worth, work ethic, and I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like I, I was telling you before when we lost talent, like it wasn't because I didn't believe that God exists. I just had um, a disordered view of who the, the father was. I really had an identity crisis, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know that at the time. Right. I didn't know who I was and I didn't know who God was. Um, and so I had to restore that relationship and it took longer than Chriseo's weekend. Um, mm-hmm. It really has been a five-year process for me, like rediscovering who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And every time I think that God's finished healing me is another chapter he opens. Yep. Um, so it's an everyday, um, an everyday gift, I think, um, to be able to continue to to heal myself and to walk with others and their journey. Mm. And, and that is such a beautiful desire, um, that, you know, that you're expressing there and it's so needed. Um, so many people don't want to enter into anyone else's pain because they're afraid of what that might entail. And so, um, for you to have that courage to be able to step out and to do that, and then to also invite others to be able to take their pain and to be able to accompany others and to be able to just simply share, you know, what your experience was and to be present to one another. And that's exactly what Christ did, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly what he did, um, is that he was present. And then when we're present to one another, then his incredible healing is, is able to radiate through us uh, to others. Um, and so I want to make sure that we give, give a little bit of time to let people know about the work that Redbird Ministries is doing um, and about, uh, you know, your hope um, of, you know, but if people themselves wanted to be able to get some support, be able to reach out, how might they be able to do that? And what are some things that they, they might be able to find that you guys could help them with? Yeah. So we really are a comprehensive grief support ministry for child loss. And so we do partner with dioceses and parishes to be able to provide the resources and the tools to implement grief support in their communities. Um, mm-hmm. But we also help 
families of loss virtually and in person here locally at our House of Grace uh, in our in the Diocese of uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an online community that you can join by going to our website at redbird.love. Mm-hmm. We offer small groups, virtual small groups. Um, we offer spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. And we, um, we have a couple of spiritual directors who are also parents of loss. Um, we um, have resources like my book. Um, we have a consecration guide. Um, it's a 33-day consecration guide to the Holy Family. It's called Restoring Love. Mm-hmm. And it's something couples can do in the privacy of their home. So you don't need um, to go to in-person support to do it. Um, awesome. and the programs that we have... Um, for uh, parishes and dioceses um, are two cornerstone pro- programs that we have available as of now or our grief group, which is called Finding the Passion of Christ in Our Story. And it's a 10-week um, journey through the passion. So we look at Jesus's passion, his suffering and resurrection in the, the context of our own story. And we see how like Christ, you know, Christ manifests his pain, his suffering, and his resurrection, and how that looks in our story as well. Because when I shared my story one time, someone told me that, and I was like, how could you ever think my story could ever compare to Jesus's? And then he was like, you need to go back and read the passion. And when he did, I took that, those meditations that I wrote through Lent on my own journey and put it into a program. And it has other parts of it too. And you can do it as a grief study. It has questions. Um, it has a leader's manual. Um, it's a, it's a package program. Um, and then we also have a one day couples workshop, um, same thing, leaders program, and it has a participant's guide that, uh, can be fi- facilitated, um, by a parish or diocese. And, um, that is a one day workshop that, uh, that's offered and, um, um, the underlying, um, I guess, component of the couples workshop is so that couples can learn how to communicate because when love, when couples can learn how to communicate in suffering, especially uh, in their marriage and the way that they um, grieve differently, the way that they process crisis differently, um, they can learn how to develop both um, emotional intimacy and also spiritual intimacy. Um, So that's the underlying component of that. And then um, with the OSV challenge money, we are developing our own app, which will come out the beginning of 2022. And we're working on our Good Shepherd program. And that is a, um, it's a educational resource for clergy to understand what families of loss go through Mm -hmm. and to know how to receive and support them after loss and escort them into the Redbird community. Um, one of the obstacles that we were having is that families put their best face forward in front of their clergy. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of their, their priests um, didn't know that there was a problem until their marriages were about to fall apart. That's mm-hmm. when we would reach out for support. And it was more reactive than proactive. Mm-hmm. So we want to prevent that. And we don't want to leave um, to make sense of loss up to the secular world. We really want the church to be the voice of grief, the voice of death, because Catholic worldview is, um, 
it, it's different than what the secular world, you know, Absolutely. says. Yes, grief has all kind of emotions. It, it brings a point apart a lot of things that happen um, to us in our body and our mind. Um, but our soul is bigger. And I think a lot of times, like the if you're not if you're not seeing a Catholic therapist, they only focus on um, those in the emotional psychological part of it. Um, they really don't talk about the spiritual and uh, the relational side of it as well. No, I totally agree. Um, you know, the Catholic worldview, um, and it's a holistic one mm-hmm. of where, you know, this is where, you know, you, you started our conversation, uh, you know, today with about the fact of, you know, the ministry is been born out of your pain and God continuously does that uh, of where he's, you know, fulfilling what it's, you know, what Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty eight. you know, God makes good things come you know, out of bad for those who love him. And, you know, oftentimes we can't see it because we're in such pain that we can't see the good that's coming. Uh, But then, you know, that opportunity for us to be able to help others and to then accompany others. And through that, uh, we become his instruments. And, um, you know, Mother Teresa, you know, Calcutta, you know, your patron, you know, said it so well about the fact of, you know, we are the hands of Christ, we are the feet of Christ, we are the eyes of Christ, we are the ears of Christ. And by being present to one another, especially in the midst of our pains and our sufferings and our grief, that is where we truly become our best selves. Um, and uh, so it, it's uh, it's wonderfully wonderfully exciting uh, for me to hear about how you all saw the gap because of your own experience, but then you responded out of love, you know, to help others, and that that's such a beautiful and encouraging and inspiring story. But for the you know for the biggest reason is because it makes all of us the body of Christ better. Um, and, uh, you know, so I definitely want to encourage everyone, uh, to go, uh, and check out, uh, what it is that you have to offer, uh, at redbird.love. Um, and I'll put all of that in the show notes so that people can get in touch with you. Um, and it's been such a, such a joy to be able to, uh, to hear your story and to learn of how it is that God has used you and your husband, uh, to bring about such good for other people. Um, so thank you for your courage and your willingness to do that. And, uh, De Colores, uh, I'm a fellow <laughs> Perseista. Um, and, uh, actually, uh, we, we've come down to, uh, my husband and I, uh, we've served on the regional uh, service team, you know, for Curcio, and we actually have come down and done uh, Curcio de Curcios, uh, you know, in the in the diocese there. And uh, so, it, it's a it's a beautiful charism, and the essence of the charism, of course, is what you experienced with your friend who said, "Hey." I'll go and do this with you. And it's the charism of friendship. It's the charism of accompaniment. And that's what we're called to do, not to do anything more than just be present and to walk with one another. So thank you so much for your time thank today, you. Kelly. And, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. If you know of someone who is suffering, who is struggling right now with grief, especially with the loss of a child, please share this podcast with them. Let them know that there is hope, 
that there is you know the presence of god in our midst even when we can't see it and he will work for the good of all of us who love him so continue to do whatever it takes so that you may be able to continue to grow in holiness and become the living breathing wonder-working saint that god created you to be thanks so much everybody have a blessed day so what might be some resolutions that you could take from kelly and my conversation today well, one of them is to make yourself aware of the different resources that Redburn Ministries has, particularly so that you can point people in their direction. So that's one thing that you can do. Another is that perhaps you can reach out to someone that you know has experienced a loss or is coming up on the anniversary of a loss or just you know someone who's struggling, and just reach out to have some coffee, uh, to just be present, to accompany them. And the ministry of presence is so very important. And the third thing that you could do is to reach out and financially support the work that Redbird Ministries is doing. And you can go to their website, you can find that in the show notes, and you can go and support their ministry. So those are three different things that you can do in order to take this conversation and take it deeper and really make a difference in the world today. Thanks again for spending time with me today. If you have any suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please leave me a voicemail using the link in the podcast show notes. Or you can visit my website at sayyestoholiness.com or send me an email at christinasimmons at gmail.com. I look forward to the opportunity to continue the conversation we've begun here today. In the interim, please know my continued prayers for you and your loved ones especially that each of us may continue to strive to do whatever it takes in order to grow in holiness as we tell the master of death, not today. I look forward to having a conversation with you again soon. God bless.